Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for 1420, The Answer. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, the ninth, the uh, 10th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Pleased to be joined now once again by Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. I'll have to shorten his list of titles because we have a shortened period of time with Peter today, right until 1030. Peter, good morning. How are you? Be better if the Browns looked more like an NFL team instead of some kind of JV team. That was a pitiful performance, and uh, aside from everything else, you can't have 18 penalties. That's unforgivable. Uh, no, you can't. Uh, like you, like you, and like a lot of other people, I uh, I woke up feeling dangerous on Sunday morning and uh, went home feeling constipated. It was just. <laughs> Uh, all right, Pete. Let's uh, uh, let's dive into uh, into the news, and we have a lot of it to get into. Uh, before we get into some of the news stories that I, I uh, you and I discussed prior to the show this morning, this is um, this is uh, uh, there was a fantastic interview that Mark Levin did on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday night with um, Dr. Robert Epstein, who is a Harvard-educated uh, psychologist who uh, is coming forth, and he did this in a, ten- a testimony before the Senate Judiciary, uh, Judiciary Committee back in July about the impact that the Silicon Valley community, in particular Google, but also to a different extent, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc., in particular Google, that they are going to manipulate our elections. We're so worried about Russian manipulation or meddling in our elections, we need to worry about Silicon Valley. Google, by way of of their twisted search algorithms, um, according to Dr. Epstein, who describes himself as center-left for his entire life and a Hillary Clinton supporter, pointed out that Google literally changed 2.5 million votes through manipulation of people's opinions based on their results. Pete, we are coming up on another election. We're, what, about 14 months away from another election. What is to stop them from doing it again? 
Well, nothing. It, what bothers me, I didn't see the Levin article, but I'm aware of Epstein's It was an interview, and I'll send it to you. Yeah, it wasn't an article. It was yeah. an interview on his TV show, and I'll send it to you. You'll be blown away, and I'll also send you the uh, Senate uh, Judiciary Testimony. Sorry I, about I, that, have, I have seen his Senate Judiciary Testimony, so I'm familiar with that. Okay. And what I would say is it didn't surprise me, except that I, there's no way that I could you know, wrap my head around or confirm one way or another whether or not his estimate of the number of votes influenced is anywhere near accurate. I don't know how you do that. I'm not saying he's wrong or anything. It's just that, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how you can quantify how many votes might be influenced by these algorithms. But aside from that, if you take a look at what Google is up to, I mean, it's pretty clear. I mean, they came right out after the election. There was a big meeting at uh, uh, at Google where one of their top executives said, we cannot allow this to happen again, uh, as if they have control over our elections. And there's been repeated instances of reports coming out in, frankly, media sources that are sympathetic to them, talking about Google's efforts to favor certain candidates. And of course, all those candidates lean left. Uh, that's significant because Google has a virtual monopoly on the flow of information in this country. Now, again, I don't know to what extent this influences, you know, the pool of voters out there. But if you just put yourself in the mindset of the millions upon millions of independent slash undecided voters, when they're being inundated with information that is biased in a particular direction, it's not too much of a leap of logic to suggest that, you know, uh, a majority of them are going to be influenced to go in the direction that Google wishes it to go to. You know, our friend Tom Z has been on this for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I know I've talked to folks in Congress about it. Uh, it's a concern. I don't know that it's enough of a concern for most Republicans. Republicans sometimes, like Republicans, mystify me. It's almost as if they are lost in the wilderness. They have no clue the forces against which they are arrayed, and they are significant. It's not just Google. Google is the, the biggest, dominant, most important player in this regard. But there's Facebook, and we all know for the longest time, NBC, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, our school system, Hollywood, woke businesses such as Nike. I mean, they're all pushing uh, the culture and politics in a leftist direction, and it's significant. But the Google threat is something that needs to be taken into consideration. Now, I do know that a few of our friends, I know that Jim Jordan has been on this, and a few others have been on this, uh, they're very concerned, and they should be concerned about this. And if there's any good news, I mean, I generally don't like too much government involvement in the private sector, but when you're talking about enterprises that have monopoly power, it goes into a different sphere where you've got, for example, government has uh, more control over public utilities than it would do any other kind of business. And Google has monopoly power and arguably is, you know, tantamount to a public utility. If it has that kind of influence, it would be sheer negligence, democratic negligence, not to have some type of oversight over that process. Yeah, I think that's very well said, and I'm glad you did hear the Senate Judiciary Testimony so you know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, it, it is much more in-depth in the uh, Levin uh, interview as well, so I'll make sure that you see that, uh, Pete, and I'll send that to you. But uh, I want to move on, because and, and, we want to hit a few different topics here in the time. We only have you until 1030 today. So uh, let's talk about C the CNN and the CIA. 
Um, the CIA took an extraordinary step. This is very, very unusual. But yesterday evening, they destroyed CNN. They slammed their misguided and, quote, simply false reporting on an alleged CIA spy's extraction from the Kremlin. The CNN story essentially said that the CIA had to pull a spy out of uh, Moscow because of concerns that President Trump would, and in fact allegations that he already had, repeatedly mishandled classified intelligence and could contribute to exposing the covert source as a spy. The CIA heard CNN and essentially slapped them with a great big rubber stamp that said, fake news. Uh, That's extraordinary, Pete. It is, especially when it's something that serious. But CNN now, I've lost track, Bob, of the number of times it's been caught with its pants down, lying with virtual impunity, not caring whatsoever. I mean, when I say impunity, you have a lower-level reporter that comes out with not just a false story, but when you do the digging, it's pretty clear that they must have known the story was false. So that means they're lying. It's not like they just simply made a mistake. And yet the higher-ups at CNN, the people who are involved in the business practices who make sure that, for example, that they're publishing or reporting accurate information, seem to permit them, if not encourage them, to do so. This is, this is extremely serious. And we're talking lives at stake when we're dealing with matters such as whether or not you've got operatives within Russia who may be in jeopardy, but they simply lied about this. And it's extraordinary for the CIA to give a public rebuke, but it's not going to have any effect on CNN. We've seen this uh, before where CNN will make up some story completely false And then when they are caught on it, they simply move on as if nothing happened. Uh, We're in a dangerous spot. And it's a good segue from the Facebook story because it's, I mean, I don't know who watches CNN besides maybe 14 people (laughs) in an airport. But nonetheless, you've got the full impact of the media. CNN is just maybe the most visible and stark example of the bias of the media. But what's more frightening is when you have subtle examples, when you don't have, there are so many stories that we don't know whether they are false. I simply presume that almost anything that's on CNN is going to have an anti-Trump angle to it, uh, whether it's gas prices, food prices, what happened in a, you know the Browns football game. Everything is going to have a negative uh, anti-Trump effect. But look, we rely on the media who have got First Amendment protections to inform us about things we can, you know, mediate our lives, uh, comport ourselves in a certain way, make rational decisions. And yet every time I walk past a CNN broadcast, it is a a rabid, uh, visceral, anti-Trump screed. And this is just emblematic of part of the media problem. So going into 2020, Trump has got a big, big, big uphill battle, and not to mention some of the holdout terms <laughs> remind me of the Japanese uh, soldiers on these faraway islands in, in the, after the World War II. you got these, these never-Trumpers who are holdouts. Trump is doing everything that these never-Trumpers wanted to do, but no, it's, it's not good enough for him because they're upset about his Twitter. Um, but it's a, it's a big battle. It's an uphill battle. It's a tsunami that we're facing, uh, but I think we'll win. Uh, well, I hope so, Pete. And I'm going to use this as a chance to take our break now because I got another topic. Congress has returned to Washington, D.C. after their 45 day unearned break, and they are immediately getting down to the business of working for the people. And I say that with my tongue uh, planted so firmly in my cheek, it's coming out the other side. Uh, I'll give you that story and get your response to it next on AM 1420 Deeds.
one now. We're going to make as much time as we can here before uh, for Peter Kirsten now before he has to bail at 1030. All right, Pete, I mentioned uh, right going into the break, uh, Congress has returned, and they're getting right down to the business of working for the people, except for, of course, uh, Senate, or, uh, House Democrats, who are immediately um, returning to impeaching Donald Trump. Jerry Nadler, House Judiciary Committee Chair, uh, plans to vote on a resolution as early as tomorrow to formalize procedures for its so-called impeachment inquiry in hopes of moving it along faster this fall, according to reports. Pete, I, I just, you know, I, I, I hope the American people are watching. I hope that they realize the Democrats have no interest whatsoever in working for them, working on infrastructure, working on the economy, working on uh, national security, working on immigration, or any of the problems we face. It is solely 100% focused on trying to invalidate the last election, even though we are closer to the next election. This is what they continue to work on. This is what they return to, to Washington, D.C. to do. I believe the smarter Democrats are embarrassed and, frankly, upset that Nadler is pursuing this because they know this dog won't hunt. They were embarrassed in the Mueller hearing. Uh, they, they know that for the last year the American people have turned against this, that CNN and MSNBC and everyone else who had been rallying around uh, Russia collusion have, dro- well, they haven't completely dropped it, but they were embarrassed and now Nadler continues to pursue it with nothing to support it, nothing whatsoever to support it. And the problem for him, I think, if the Republicans handle this properly, and I think there are some Republicans who are agile enough to do this, is that all of the evidence now is piling up with respect to the IG's report and um, uh, the uh, Durham's investigation and so on and so forth, that all of this was not merely a setup, but the greatest political scandal in American history. And I, I, I don't say that to be histrionic or anything. I think that the facts merit that description. So if Republicans are alert, and again, that's a big if, but if they're alert and adept during these hearings, I think what will come out and maybe new to news to a lot of people is the extent to which the deep state was involved in a massive conspiracy. It, it sounds even bizarre to use words like that in the United States of America, but that's the most appropriate description, and it reached the highest levels. Um, as Several people have said, I've been saying it for the longest time, but people a lot smarter and more in, in tuned with this kind of proceeding, such as Andy McCarthy and others, have been saying for a long, long time that these kinds of things, that what was being done by James Comey and McCabe and Strzok and Page and others, Brennan, Clapper, could not plausibly have occurred without the imprimatur from the very, very top. Uh, You know that intuitively if you've been in politics at all for any period of time, but you could not have done something like this unless the President of the United States knew all about it, and not merely knew all about it, but had to give some kind of confirmation or validation to it, because you're not going to stick your neck out on something this big that is trying to affect the outcome of election, putting a spy or spies into a, a campaign, skirting laws and regulations in order to affect a particular result. You don't do those kinds of things. And on, on top of that, we have got significant amount of evidence that the president of the United States at the time knew precisely what was going on. You know, we have uh, tape. Uh, texts from Struck and Page saying that the, the president is running this. He wants to know everything that's going on. We've got the greatest hilarious CYA memo of all time from Susan Rice. We have the fact that prior to or, or when when Comey met with Trump. 
The day before that, he had met with uh, Biden and Obama and Susan Rice about what they were going to be doing in that meeting. It's, it's an extraordinary chain of events. So those kinds of things should be coming out if the Republicans have their act together. Even if they don't have their act together, there should be some journalists who should be able to elicit some sidebar comments that show just that to the American people. And when I say journalists, obviously I am excluding all the people that we know, you know, the, the usual suspects. But true journalists, you know, the Molly Hemingways of the world, for example, who know precisely what's going on. And, and the Annie McCarthy, who's not really a journalist, but does yeoman's job, does the work that CNN refuses to do. So um, I think it's going to backfire against them. I really do. I think that the American people are wise to this. I think, first of all, they're, they're tired of impeachment. We've been hearing about it for, for a couple of years, and they're tired of Russia collusion. We've been hearing about it for three years, and now all the evidence is going in the opposite direction. Pete, last thing. we got about three and a half minutes for this. Um, if they can't impeach him, well, let me rephrase. If they can't defeat him, they want to impeach him. And I really believe they don't think they can defeat him. When you listen to them, Sarah, San Sarah Huckabee Sanders is on Hannity uh, last night, and she said very directly, I don't know why these people are running when they hate this country as much as they do. And that sounds like it might be hyperbolic, but it's really not. Listen, for example, to Robert Francis O'Rourke describing the country that he wants to be president of and describing how it has been evil from its very founding. This is a country that has been defined by foundational, systemic, endemic racism since the very founding of this country, August 20th of 1619, the first time that a kidnapped African was brought here against his will and made to serve as a slave to build the greatness and the success and the wealth of this country, which his descendants would never be able to fully participate in. This is the reality of the United States of America, and sooner or later, it was going to find us. It wasn't a matter if, it was a matter of when. So he skips right from the foundation of this country uh, as if it was founded on slavery. This is what we wanted. We wanted the ability to keep slaves. Uh, that's why we broke away from the British crown. Uh, that's the lie that he is telling. It's a historical misnomer. Everybody knows it who's been paying attention. Skips over the fact, by the way, that hundreds of thousands of white Americans fought and died in the Civil War to defeat slavery, to make sure that we were all were equal in this country, and so on and so forth. But their hatred for this country, Pete, runs so deep, they cannot contain it. And it makes you wonder, how do they expect to convince American, Americans to vote for them when they have no optimism, no positivity for the future, and simply are founded and grounded in their hatred for this country and its current leader? Yeah, well, you're right about that. If people don't vote for someone who hates the country. And O'Rourke, in addition to hating the country, is an abject idiot. Uh, I, I, it's amazing to me anyone believes that stuff. But here's the kind of dangerous background to this. You're right. It's not just O'Rourke. It's most of the Democratic presidential aspirants are talking this way. And what he just that said there was the preamble to what the New York Times has already announced they're going to be doing in their reporting with this 1619 project. Not only that, if you go to, as I do, you know, I, I teach in our public schools from time to time. If you go to our public schools and definitely our colleges, what you heard from Beto O'Rourke, the kind of Howard Zinn version of history, the communist version of American history, is being taught in our schools. If you talk to your average millennial, you know, the ones who aren't that engaged necessarily, uh, they think that what O'Rourke said is not remarkable at all. They think that's exactly what happened. Uh, 
So what I always say to these folks is, if we're such a horrible country, why do people continue to risk life and limb to come here? I mean, in other words, people of color, are they coming here to be discriminated against? Why is it that in Hong Kong right now, they're raising the American flag? Is it because we are racist and that we have this this uh, tendency toward hegemony that we want to dominate people? No. One of the things that is sometimes said, I know that Colin Powell had said it a few times and others have said it, is that whenever there's a problem somewhere, whenever a country is in jeopardy, their people are are are, um, are being besieged by, by an enemy, or there's a natural disaster, the flag that everyone in the world wants to see coming over that hill is the American flag. If we are so terrible, why do they want to see the American flag? No one is praying to see the Russian flag or the Chinese flag or the German flag or anyone else. Maybe some would be a little bit excited if they saw the British flag, but everybody wants the American flag. Someone in the audience, I hope, at some point pushes back against O'Rourke a little bit. Not for his sake, because I think he's too obtuse to really realize how dumb he sounds to the masses of people out here. Absolutely. But for the sake of those in the audience who are being subjected to this type of American colony, we can't allow this to happen. Unfortunately, the culture, the zeitgeist, our, our major institutions are all pushing in the same direction as Beto O'Rourke. We've got to stand fast, the majority of us, that is, and say no to this idiocy. Peter Kersenow laying it out for us wonderfully, as he always does. Peter, uh, thank you so much for the time, my friend. God bless. We'll talk to you again next week, hopefully after a Browns victory. Go Browns. Thank you very much, Pete. Peter Kirsten out. It's 1031. Let's get a timeout now. We'll check our news at the bottom of the hour. The last half hour is guest-free, so if you would like to be a part of it, hit us up at 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Back after this. Brought to you by AbbVie. Very, very sad piece of news. Cleveland.com is reporting that Fred McLeod, the, uh, or McLeod, if you will, the uh, television voice uh, of the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, has passed away last night. Uh, sudden passing at the age of only 67. He's a native of Strongsville. He's been the play-by-play announcer on Fox Sports Ohio for Cavs games since the 2006 season and was about to start his 14th consecutive and 15th overall, serving in the same capacity with the Cavaliers uh, during the 79-80 season was his first time. He was also the Cavaliers' executive producer for multimedia. Uh, in the release, the Cavaliers extended their deepest condolences to Fred's entire family, including his wife Beth, mother Marilyn, sister Lynn, and three children, Sean, Jenna, and Molly, and each of their families. A multiple regional Emmy Award winner, Fred McLeod was the most accomplished and respected announcer, or one of the most accomplished and respected announcers in the NBA. He recently celebrated his 36th season of broadcasting games. Remember, he also spent 22 years announcing Detroit Pistons games before joining the Cavaliers in 2006. Wow, what a sad, sad piece of news. So all Cavs fans know his voice. They have heard his work along with uh, Austin Carr and Cavaliers telecasts. Um, our deepest prayers and condolences. 
and best wishes are, of course, to his family and friends and really to everybody who will uh, miss his voice in the upcoming season and beyond of Cavaliers games. What terrible news to have to report. But um, there that is. I, I want to go back <clears throat> prior to the, <clears throat> excuse me, prior to the top of the hour news and then the Peter Kersenow segment, we were discussing and I was sharing with you some of the audio from our man, uh, Dr. Robert Epstein. Dr. Robert Epstein is a center-left Harvard-educated psychologist. He is um, a professor, an author, and a journalist as well. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief, or was the editor-in-chief of Psychology Today, and he is an expert in the field of um I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe this, what he is discussing for us. Uh, the, the field of affecting people's thoughts and behaviors. Or let me rephrase. Affecting is the verb, and effect is a noun. Affecting the way people's thoughts and behaviors can be changed by significant influencing factors. And it is in this area uh, of his expertise that he testified on uh, July 17th, I believe it was, before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and told of Google's manipulation of people's minds and their thoughts, essentially. I know that sounds crazy. We're not talking about actual mind control, but by way of their manipulated search algorithms, providing results for people that would steer their um their uh attention if you will and 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 steer them towards supporting one particular candidate over another and in this case it was in the 2016 election that he studied this very very closely and found the manipulation of search results by way of their algorithms to to steer people toward favoring Hillary Clinton and it's in his considered opinion based on his research that at least two and a half million votes were decided, were made up by Google. Google affecting the votes of at least 2.5 million people, and if things are not changed, could be up to four. No, let me correct that. I'm going to replay this so because I, I, I may be mis, uh, misstating that. He talked about the impact Google, with its worldwide reach, can reach up to 2.5 billion people and manipulate what they think and how they think. And he said soon that will be 4 billion people. So I want to correct that and clarify that. But I want to go back to the audio I started to play before the Kersenow conversation. Because Dr. Epstein says, right, Epstein says that um, Google is far, far too powerful. And he says this as a Hillary Clinton supporter. And he said, rather than be gratified and, 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 you know, grateful that Google did something to support his chosen candidate as a, quote, center leftist his entire adult life, he said the democracy and the democratic process of this country is more important to him. So I want to go back uh, and I want you to listen to some of his testimony as he's questioned by Senator Ted Cruz. Thing, but also for the Daily Caller and even Russia's Sputnik News. I reach out to diverse audiences because I believe the threats posed by Google, and to a lesser extent Facebook, are so serious that everyone needs to know about them. Here are just three disturbing findings from my research which adheres to the very highest standards of scientific integrity. Number one, 
In 2016, Google's search algorithm likely impacted undecided voters in a way that shifted at least 2.6 million votes to Hillary Clinton. Okay, so I did, I did have that part right. I know this because I preserved more than 13,000 election-related searches prior to Election Day, and Google's search results were significantly biased in favor of Secretary Clinton. I know the number of votes that shifted because I've conducted dozens of controlled experiments that measure how opinions shift. A little glitch here. Apologies. We'll get this fixed real quick. I want to hear the rest of uh, Dr. Epstein's statement, or at least as much of it as we can. And we do indeed have a computer glitch. Which I first published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015. Biased search results can easily produce shifts in the opinions and voting preferences of undecided voters by up to 80% in some demographic groups because people blindly trust high-ranking search results over lower ones. SEAM is an especially dangerous form of influence because it is, in effect, subliminal. It also leaves no paper trail for authorities to trace. It's an example of a short-lived or, quote, ephemeral experience. That's a phrase you'll find in internal emails that have leaked recently from Google. I'm now studying seven such manipulations, like SEAM, and unlike billboards or those Russian-placed ads, these manipulations are invisible and non-competitive. They're controlled entirely by big tech companies, and there is no way to counteract them. Number two, on Election Day in 2018, the Go Vote reminder that Google displayed on its home page gave one political party at least 800,000 more votes than it gave the other party. That reminder was not a public service. It was a vote manipulation. Number three, in the weeks leading up to the 2018 election, bias in Google search results may have shifted upwards of 78.2 million votes spread across many races to the candidates of one political party. This number is based on bias in data captured by my 2018 monitoring system, which preserved more than 47,000 election-related searches conducted by a diverse group of American voters. I know how to stop big tech in its tracks, and that brings me briefly here to monitoring systems and the proposal I published yesterday. All right, I'm going to pause this here because I want to underscore what you're listening to. And if you just turn on the radio, this is Dr. Robert Epstein's testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee about Google's extraordinary meddling in the U.S. elections. It's, it's incredible ability to impact and affect the minds and the mindsets and the decisions of undecided voters simply with their search result algorithms. Now, this guy is not some conservative, you know, uh, uh, a complainer and whiner that big lefty uh, uh, Silicon Valley companies are unfairly uh, attacking. Or This guy's a liberal. He described himself as being violently opposed or virulently opposed to Donald Trump. He voted for Hillary Clinton, supported Hillary Clinton. But he is totally 100% concerned about the integrity of our elections and our democratic process. 
And he says very clearly that Google changes millions of people's minds and thus millions of people's votes. 78 million of them affected or across, as he pointed out, uh, you know, hundreds of elections talking about, you know, uh, uh, state races, local races, and so on and so forth. And it's almost always in favor of one party over the other, the Democrat Party, of which he is a member, which is why his testimony is so important. Now, you heard him talk about ephemeral voting and ephemeral effects, uh, essential. And I want you to listen. I'm, I'm fast forwarding now to, uh, away from his Senate testimony, his Senate uh, judiciary testimony, to his conversation on Sunday night with Mark Levin. Uh, Dr. Epstein was talking with Mark Levin about this impact, uh, the impact that this unconscious bias and unconscious uh, effect on voters' minds that Google has been able to tap into and what it means. Give this a listen. Well, I don't think Google or Facebook or these other tech companies actually went full out. I think they held back. Uh, There are a number of things uh, that I study now beyond, beyond search results. Uh, which can also be used to shift uh, opinions and votes, to flip elections. Uh, there are many indications that a lot of these techniques were not being used. I think they were overconfident. Uh, they were certain uh, that Hillary Clinton uh, uh, would win. Um, I'm going to pause this here because, uh, first of all, it's glitching out on us a little bit. And second of all, I don't think this is quite the part where he talks about that impact of, um, of, of the Google manipulation. Let me try. Well, that. normally that's right. There is no paper trail. Uh, that's exactly right. In fact, internally at Google, we know this from a, an email that leaked to the Wall Street Journal last year, uh, they call these ephemeral experiences. What does that mean? Well, that means, you know, you, you type in a search term while you're typing. They're flashing some search suggestions at you. Uh, those are very powerful manipulators. And the point is they're just flashing at you, and then they disappear. Then search results appear, and you maybe you click on something, and then that disappears. It's ephemeral. It's short-lived. It's not stored anywhere. Can't get your hands around it. No. Nope. And once it's gone, you can't go back in time and reconstruct it. And they know this. I mean, we know this now from some of the leaks. They understand the power that ephemeral experiences have to shift opinions on anything and to shift voting preferences. 2016, I built the first ever system to preserve ephemeral experiences. And what I was preserving uh, in the months leading up to the uh, presidential election was search results on Google, Bing, and Yahoo, basically by looking over people's shoulders with their permission and capturing that stuff before it disappears. If you don't have monitoring systems in place, all of these ephemeral experiences, they're gone. So the programmers, the executives, they understand how this works full well. But the point is, once these ephemeral experiences have an impact on people. They disappear, and authorities cannot trace them. 2016. This is this is this is flat out evil. I I hope I'm not overstating this, and I hope you're not uh, uh, glossing over this. Google is practicing a form of untraceable mind control. Through these ephemeral, untraceable, uh, uh, un, un, uh, recognizable experiences. 
And this is, again, an expert in the field, and he is a leftist, and he's terrified of what this is doing because it is changing the democracy, the democratic process of our great country. Google is, and, and this is the worst part, Google was doing this in 2016. It has been discovered by people like Dr. Epstein, and he is doing his very best. He, he went on in the, uh, uh, in the Senate Judiciary testimony portion of what I played for you to say that he's got a way to combat this, and I will share that with you probably on tomorrow's program. But understand, Google has essentially made its declaration that they are going to do this again. They will do through, and this is leaked uh, 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 inter-office memorandums from Google's headquarters in San Francisco and in uh, Silicon Valley, that they intend to do everything in their power to stop Donald Trump from winning re-election. And Epstein says they can do it. They're masters at it. I want to know when Democrats are going to take this up while they're worried about Vladimir Putin and worried about somebody uh, in, in Russia hacking into John Podesta's emails and getting into the DNC server, American uh, uh, tech companies like Google trying to impact, and not just impact, but change our elections. I hope you don't gloss over this. Understand that between now and November of 2020, I will be all over this. I will be giving you every piece of information I can find about the impact that tech companies like Google and, as you heard Dr. Epstein say, to a lesser extent, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and a few others, uh, that they can have on changing the outcome of this election. You know things are bad when Democrats and leftists are ratting on other Democrats and leftists for their own political gain. All right, it's 1052. Really appreciate you paying attention to this. I hope you understand its importance. Back after this. All right, it's 1056. I'm going to get a couple of quick phone calls in here before the top of the hour. Sorry for the delay to those who have been on hold, but uh, like I said, I think there's some very important information there we need to be on top of. TJ in Cleveland back on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, TJ. Yeah, you know, Bob, me as a listener, you as a caller, we go back many years. Sure. Uh, But, you know, I've made the decision. I'm retiring as a caller. This will be my last call. It's just time for me to move on. But that being said, the reason I called... You know, with Google and the mainstream media and everything, you know, going on the other side, I'm not worried because I really, truly believe God is on our side. And my faith was reinforced with this hurricane when it was supposed to just slam into Florida. And that libtard Canadian parliamentary woman made the statement she just hopes Mar-a-Lago is just totally wiped out and devastated. Well, then the thing took a right-hand turn, and it ended its journey slamming into the Canadian East Coast. Coincidental? Maybe, maybe not. All I can say is, you know, I wish nothing but the best to you and your audience. And if you keep the faith, we're going to win this thing. And God bless you, Bob, and God bless your audience. We will keep the faith, and we will win this thing. And I've never thought of it in the way you just told it. But she did. She did. Uh, I don't remember her name. But she did. She hoped for a direct hit on Mar-a-Lago. And, uh, and then, as, uh, as TJ just pointed out, of course, that the hurricane did not hit Mar-a-Lago. It did go straight up the coast, unfortunately doing damage to the Carolinas and, uh, and, and parts of the United States, but also into the Canadian uh, uh, province and the East Coast as well there. So that's a really, really great uh, um, 
uh, fact to point out. And you are always, of course, welcome anytime you feel like breaking uh, your uh, your hiatus, uh, especially as we get closer to, to, to this election, TJ. Your voice is always welcome here. Lisa in Medina. Oh, it's Lisa Woods. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Bob. Hey, I want to let you know we've got a, a meeting coming up this Saturday, and uh, it's about students in crisis and how Ohio handles our most vulnerable children. And um, as I was listening, this we're not going to talk about Google at this one, but I, I do want Oh, Lisa, Lisa, I think your phone dropped on us. I heard some clickety-clicking, and then uh, we dropped you. You know what? It's okay because we're out of time. Anyway, you call back tomorrow. We'll talk about what is coming up on uh, the next McFan meeting on Saturday, and we will talk more about Google and its manipulation then as well. Mike Gallagher's next. Stay right here on AM 1420. Lots of channels. Nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.